Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I am married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then and you're re- Reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email this week. He says, Thank you for taking my email in question. My girlfriend and I listen to you on the radio, and she respects your opinion as I do. So here's the question I've been separated for nine months. I'm working on a divorce. Is it okay to date? I believe it is. But she's not comfortable with being around people who know my divorce is not final. Can you help? He kind of answered it when he said, if she's not comfortable, it's not a good gig. And Pat, you have some questions about... About a lot of issues that obviously are life-changing. I mean, what I know to be true is that I do my absolute best to keep people together. I do. And yet... If there's been too much trauma, too much drama, if it is triggering a partner or the addict in a way that they can't seem to recover from, then we assess the situation and we decide, okay, where do we go from here? I am that team player that helps you to figure out what the heck do you do. And... Anybody who's listened to the show knows that I really, really, really want to help you rebuild intimacy after the addiction. I should say that clearly I'm a a marital therapist at heart. I want to help you build intimacy even if there isn't sexual addiction. But when you suspect that there is, and then you are devastated by the discovery, then the next thing I've got to do is help you with figuring out what does it take to rebuild this relationship and make it stronger. 
And so I am really lucky tonight to be interviewing a man who wrote a book, and I mean this book is about developing developing intimacy. And he has made it his mission to increase intimacy in a variety of ways, not just sexual, but physical, sexual, psychological, emotional. And he is one of us, so he knows that it takes a lot for somebody who has been betrayed through sexual addiction to rekindle that relationship. So we're going to be talking to him about what does he suggest? What are his exercises? What are the 40 forms of intimacy? Integrating connection into your couple relationship to find out what you can do to rebuild your relationship after it's been fractured. And that is the hard part, isn't it? It is. Experiencing that devastation, calming down your central nervous system, your parasympathetic nervous system, and figuring out what will it take to trust again. That is hard stuff. And and let's face it, relationships are kind of tough anyway. And then you throw into the mix something that creates devastation and trauma and drama, and wow, um, you may go, I don't know that I'll ever recover. But I'm going to give you some hope, strength, and recovery because what I do believe is you will recover if both of you are willing to do the hard work it takes to get over it. Now, that means that the addict has to go into total recovery. I'm not saying he won't slip, but he really has to be moving it forward and working towards recovery as opposed to working away from it. I had an interesting scenario happen in in my group a few weeks ago. Um, I had a guy who actually was doing a really good recovery program and his wife left to visit her mother-in-law for about three weeks. And within a six-hour period after she left, he was looking at porn. Now, he only looked at porn for 35 minutes. But the point was that there was a part of him that utilized that um, opportunity to do what he knew he shouldn't. He was beating himself up. He hated himself that, you know, this guy had like 222 days of sobriety. And he's like, Carol, what the hell was I doing? Why did I blow that? All for 22 minutes. Well, what we both know is that he could have done it for days because his wife was going to be gone for three weeks. But at at 22 minutes, he gained enough sanity and sobriety to go, get me out of here. And that's when he ran to a meeting. I mean, he ran to a meeting. He left 
his sponsor a text message and said, please call me. I have to question what I'm doing here. He talked to me the next day, which was a Monday, and he started working diligently on his first step, which he had been working on. But, I mean, he finished it to completion. Okay, now I know if you're the scorned partner, you could go, yep, there we go. That guy, what? he didn't have recovery. Look at him. First opportunity, he blew it. But what I know to be true is he didn't blow it. Yes, the addict took hold. It redirected him. And he didn't use enough of his tools at the very beginning, but after that 22 minutes, he got a hold of himself. He did everything he was supposed to. He shared the secret, and, yeah, he didn't do it perfectly, but he did it. And that's what a process addiction is all about. When you have an addiction to food, when you have an addiction to sex, when you have an addiction to gambling, it's really e- spending. It's really easy to have a lot of triggers. And so, what I feel so fortunate about is that he got a hold of himself. He did the right thing. Now, here's the next bottom line. And I would love for you to weigh in on this. He did not have a contract with his wife to share when he had slips. Okay, so he didn't have that contract. And ultimately, he was in a group that I ran, and the group, the majority of the group said, you got to tell your wife. And he contacted his sponsor, and the sponsor said, no, you don't have to tell your wife because you didn't have the contract. You told me, you told your counselor, you told your fellowship, you're back on track, you're doing good. What is the right answer there? Well, here's what I believe to be true. The right answer is, you know, multidimensional. The right answer is, no, he didn't violate a contract, so he doesn't have to tell his wife. But at some point, he needs to check in with his wife and say, you know, what do you want to know? I mean, I work with a lot of partners that want to know every single infraction. Is that right or wrong? Oh, I'm not going to judge. It's what they want. That's good enough for me. And then I work with partners that say, Carol, I don't want to know crapola about what he did. I just want to know he's working a program. If he's using other people and he's working it, that's good enough for me. I don't want to be traumatized by the infractions the current life if he's moving it forward. And then, of course, I have people in the middle. They don't want to be hoodwinked. They don't want to not know. But they also don't want to know every single detail because why should they experience that hit? So they're like, well, I want to know about relapses, but I don't want to know about slips. Or I want to know about relapses, but I don't want to know about slips if he's honest and he's back on track. Wow, that really gives the addict a lot of opportunity to make decisions. 
that are in the best interest of the couple. So now, if you're listening to the show, and I just looked at the demographics of the show. This is a show about sexual addiction, and guess what? About 52% of my listening audience are partners. Well, okay, maybe they're not partners, but they're women. So I'm going to say they're partners. Well, I feel so honored that you're on the line because here's what I know. If you are a partner, you are likely going to get your husband the most help. I love that. Would I like it to be him? Sure I would. But what I know to be true is this is a coupleship, and you're going to get him the most help. You're going to get him the most experienced help, and that's fantastic. And then what I know to be true is that you better be getting yourself some help because this is as painful for you as it is for him. So I want to make sure you got the right support. And you know, I mean, you go to Sex Help with Carol the Coach on YouTube and you're going to get videos for partners, you're going to get videos for sex addicts, you're going to get videos for the coupleship. And if you are an addict who does not have a relationship, well, here's what I want you to know to be true. My husband just told me this tonight. He goes, oh, no, we got the here's what I know. It's going to be true. Um, I guess I say that a lot. But what I really do know for a fact is that what you want is a formula to make the best decisions and to work towards the most recovery for the coupleship. That is why I'm so excited to be talking with Alex Avila. He has written a book on the 40 forms of intimacy, integrating connection into your couple's relationship to find out what you can do to rebuild your relationship. I mean, this is a person who has made it his mission to help teach you how to develop emotional connection, physical connection, sexual connection, spiritual connection. And really, isn't that what life's all about, whether you're working with your kids, your grandkids, the neighbors, your coworkers? It's about building trust, being authentic, being trusted, and developing relationships. So it doesn't get any better than that, to be real honest. And I am super excited to have him on the show. So now think about your own level of intimacy. What is one thing that would actually increase your sense of self? And what I mean by that is what is one thing that would be authentic and genuine that would take your life to the next level and make you a healthier partner or make you a healthier um, sex addict? Because here's what I do know to be true. Sex addicts work really hard at recovery. They want to be authentic, transparent, 
and they want to create that honesty. Now, do I have some addicts who probably are not honest? Absolutely. But the majority of these people really work hard at making it work. And so I am so lucky to be working with people that want to make their life different. And Alex is going to be talking about what do you do when you've been betrayed and how do you develop that new sense of self and not take it personally and, more importantly, how long is it going to take you to feel better? And this man has dedicated his life to this as well as he's written a book to develop intimacy. I'm writing a book right now on developing empathy, and empathy and intimacy are so important in a relationship. So, Alex, welcome to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. Yes, hello, Carol. How are you? Well, I'm well. And, boy, this is a really important book because – The people I work with that are married and experiencing sexual addiction and partner trauma, they want to know how to rebuild their relationship. So first and foremost, tell me, how did you get into this field? Yeah, I wanted to just help people get it right. I actually married when I was 23. I knew somebody for about six months and just rushed into it. You know, I I know now from my therapy training I was trying to rescue right sometimes we have different motivations for getting married and don't examine all the reasons and um, our readiness but uh, that just broke my heart it lasted a little less than a year and I thought whoa this is not supposed to happen you know if anybody has felt crushed by some relationship or lost a marriage or as we'll get into just the overwhelming sense of betrayal from what's happened in our own marriage or relationship. Yeah, it can really knock us down. So it really got my attention. It bothered me. I decided I'm going to get, I'm going to help people because I didn't feel like I had the help, you know, and um, I wanted to make sure that people knew um, early in the relationship, how can they make sure they're with the right person, they're doing the right things, they're asking the right questions early in their relationship so as best as they can, they can prevent some things. Of course, we can't prevent everything and can't foresee everything. But, yeah, I just I really wanted to help people as early as possible, dating, you know, before they get engaged, um, and then, of course, after they're married, and then um, in conflict. How do I help them rebuild um, and work from a strength-based lens, you know, to examine their foundation and begin to – create something really strong that can last, you know, when something does come their way that's overwhelming, that it doesn't knock them down. It might knock them back a little bit, but they have some something to hold on to that they can persevere through it together. So that's, that's why I got into this. I wanted to help people, and it just developed from there. So, yeah. Yeah, I think you gave, uh, in your book, I definitely think you give a sense of hope, strength, and recovery. Like, you know, if you work hard on what you need to, it works. So tell me a little Mm -hmm. bit about the book that you have written that really helps people to develop intimacy. Right, so we, 
I don't think have a good framework, at least a lot of people that I talk to and know, um, and I certainly didn't have that full framework uh, to know how to do relationships. And a lot of us don't have good models for that or we don't have education or even know that we're, we should be seeking that out. So um, I just had paid attention to all the different areas that couples can connect. Um, and working as a couples therapist, um, people come into counseling primarily when they're in crisis, right? And they're in conflict and they can't see their strengths. You know, they're, they're focused on everything that is overwhelming to them that, that brings them pain, right? Where they're, they're stuck and they just can't seem to get out of it. They're focused on that, of course. Um, it's hard to see anything good. So, of course, I can't just tell them, hey, you have all these great things going for you. Um, that's not going to work. So, um, but I do need to help them see where they're getting it right, right? Where are their individual strengths? Um, before they met each other, they had a lot of good things going for them, right? Um, they were developing and they were, they're unique in their personalities and, and their strengths. So I, I help draw attention to those and also try to weave them together and help the partner see those strengths. So, um, but yeah, knowing that it's hard to see those when you're in trauma, when you're in crisis, when you're in high conflict and you don't feel like you have a lot of tools to get unstuck. Um, I wanted to weave that in and just help them see some of these good things. So I paid attention in all these different areas. It was a process of two years to write this book, just paying attention to all the different areas that, couples can connect. And of course, I paid attention to my own marriage. Um, actually, a lot of this started from projects. Uh, so my, my wife and I, we've always worked on our house, our apartment, our townhome, and just loved working together. And we felt a great sense of connection by just working on projects together. I know some people will think there's no way <laughs> I have to be in the other room or he's going to do that and I'm going to do this. But um, we that worked for us. Um, so I started off with that idea and just started paying attention. Uh, and that's what I really hope couples can do when they read this book or hear about the different forms of intimacy, the different ways they can establish a connection and, and feel close, attain that closeness, and maintain that closeness. Um, I wanted people to just choose what works for them. So of the 40 uh, different areas, they don't have to do all of them. Actually, early on in the book, I talked about if you're trying to do all of them at once, you're probably going to die. It's, it's not going to work. Um, but you could find your own combination of things that work and if you can communicate these to your partner um, and your partner can really take that in and see the description and read that chapter on that form of intimacy hopefully that bridges the gap you know it clears up some misunderstandings and gives some hope and and some handles to hold on to so people feel like they have some hope you know the, the thing about emotional intimacy it's really intangible Right. A lot of guys, I, I teach a lot of couples workshops and sometimes they will say, what is this whole emotional intimacy thing? And we might have spent two full days on building a connection, um, helping them reach each other's heart. And there's still that question. Um, so I, I try to define emotional intimacy. Of course, many of these areas of intimacy all feed up to that. And, and sex is one of the 40. So if you think about that, the, traditional definition of intimacy, right, has been sex. Um, and there's so much more to a relationship than sex, especially when sex is off the table. You know, after, 
after an affair or after uh, sex addiction is discovered or for health reasons or for other reasons. If couples just don't want to have sex, maybe before marriage or that, how else can they connect? So um, the other 39 are like foreplay, right? However long they could do that, if sex is off the table, uh, they can engage in all these different ways to connect and understand each other uh, and really reach each other's hearts. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you are a specialist in betrayal. And so, you know, you often say that many of the clients say, after being betrayed, my whole life has been turned upside down. Now I wonder who I am and how do I step into my new identity, whether I stay in the relationship or not. So tell me a little bit about what you advise partners who are looking at what is their new identity? I mean, they got one foot in and one foot out. Right. So there are a lot of things that have been shaken, right? Whatever they have believed in, had hoped for, their future, a lot of that is now in question. And it comes right. down to the individual. Yeah, it's who am I? Um, what is my identity? If I found my identity as a mother or uh, as a wife, of course, we're talking a lot about uh, female, females as the betrayed partner. Um, of course, it goes the other way as well. But, um, but what is my identity? Who am I? And sometimes we can blur our roles in life with who we really are at a deeper level. Um, but all of that seems to be shaken. Um, it's turned upside down, of course, just like you said. So now we're grieving, you know, and what I thought was, you know, what I believed in, I thought we had a pretty good marriage, or I, I didn't ever see this coming. Um, we're grieving right. that, you know, we're, we're thinking about what's going to happen, right? We're thinking about the future, and sometimes we forget about the present, right? We're, it's hard to ground ourselves when we're just knocked off balance uh, in such a traumatic way. So um, needing to accept what is can take, as you probably see, months, you know, and sometimes years of at least coming to full terms of what has happened. So it's establishing a new identity, whether in that involves the partner who committed the betrayal or it doesn't. It, 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 help, it forces us to examine who are we now? What are we going to do with our times? How do we pick up the pieces as we're trying to make sense of the next steps? Um, sometimes we can't even function in the simple daily tasks just after this has happened, right? Things we've done thousands of times, maybe we're, we're thinking, did I brush my teeth or not? Did I pay that bill? I thought, no, I'm not sure if I did because this traumatic experience has happened and has really just kind of hijacked a lot of these different things that used to come with ease. And it just, now we're confused with it. And so that's in question. Of course, who we are is in question. Where do we go from here? If you think about the other people that were involved, so let's say it was a, a husband who was unfaithful and there was a good relationship with you know, your sister-in-law. Um, and now that can be strained. You know, let's say that, that was your go-to person or there was another friend that was close with your husband and you're choosing to move away maybe even just for a time, for separation. But now that relationship, that support system is really strained. It's really um, confused. It's going to look very different. So um, we have to, I believe, look at who we are, 
who am I now? Who should I be around? Right? Who, who's in my support system um, that I need to have? I don't need to, I can't isolate myself. I need support, uh, professional and then peer support and friends and people who love me and can be that stable person that I can lean on and just vent to and, and cry on the shoulder once in a while. So it's all that is okay, shaking. Okay, so what we, you're saying is mm-hmm. who you are is the person that has real feelings. They're going to find support so that they can share their real feelings and be authentic and genuine and transparent. And when they're like that, then they're more likely to figure out, okay, what do they need to do next? Now, somebody who is betrayed, you know, there's a part of them that wants to just kick the sex addict to the curb. And then they also want to hug and hold them closely. And I know that you studied with Sue Johnson. And so tell me a little bit about that experience of what does her work entail? Because that's about building intimacy. Exactly. Yeah, sometimes we've enjoyed a lot of parts of our relationship, right, or our marriage, and for everything just to disappear in a moment, um, it, it, we don't want all of that just to go away. So we, everything comes into to focus now of what can I still have sex, right? If I, what if I still want to be with my partner in that way? What if I, I still enjoy taking a drive on the weekend or going to a movie or going out to dinner or, or doing these different daily activities? Does all that have to instantly stop? And it, it's difficult, right? Because it's different in every case. Some people just don't want anything to do with that person for a while. They need to begin to figure things out and determine their next small step um, and, and the big decisions that sometimes come right away. But I mean, it is, it's kind of like that traffic cop. You've heard of like, you know, one hand's waving you to come close and the other hand's fully extended trying to block person. And we live in that confusion as a betrayed partner it, sometimes, right? We, we want that connection. We want something we found some kind of value in the relationship pre-discovery, and it's difficult to just shut that off. So, so there is that confusion, and I believe that's where um, a couple therapists can, when the time is right, bridge that gap you know, to find out what do you enjoy about each other? You know, what, what are these 40 forms of intimacy can you hang on to right now just to maintain some sense of connection rather than putting everything on hold and then trying to reestablish after a month or six months you know, how, how we're going to try this relationship, but we, we're strangers. So it's practically sometimes difficult too to, for someone to move out. It's costly. So for those that want to maintain that connection after a betrayal, uh, there, there's a lot to discuss, but we do need to focus on what's working, what has worked, what do you enjoy, what do you value, um, after after the dust settles, how can you look at, yeah, there are some things that I enjoy about this relationship and I want to hang on to it. But it's going to be with very clear boundaries, right, and very um, clear communication about what we can do and what we can't do. And that gets into the needs. And that, that's one of the 40 is, is the needs. You know, what, oh, I agree. Early, and what you are know, those bottom line needs? So here we mm-hmm. have, let's just say that we have an addict and a partner 
who, boy, they've had a wake-up call. They know they need to do it right. They want to develop a little bit of closeness, a little bit of intimacy, but they're still very nervous about trusting the other person. What might be an exercise that you would give them to help them to figure out what is it that they really want? Right, and I would say the first thing is to slow down. And everything has happened so fast. You know, when the, the betrayal trauma was discovered and everything is just going so fast. All these decisions are going through our minds. What does this mean for me? Who do I tell? What's going to happen? There's so many questions. Um, And if a couple's working on that together still, um, hopefully they're each getting at least individual support. But being able to slow it down and really get back to the basics. So when we talk about trust, um, that's something that is, of course, a process. Right. Some people it could take months or years to really fully trust that person again. And it's it's uh, demonstrated right, by actions. And over and over, people see day by day a person be consistent. Um, a big part of it is, is the attitude right, in the heart of the person who um, betrayed his partner. It's, it's that. But slowing down, communicating to rebuild trust, what what do you need? Again, it gets down to those bottom line needs. What do you need from me? Well, I need you. And sometimes it's very practical and something we wouldn't ask for if this hadn't happened. So I need you to tell me that you're going to be three minutes late from work. Uh, because if you are and you don't tell me, immediately my mind's going to go to, well, I wonder if he stopped here or he did. he's doing something that, you know, her mind's going to go there, right? And that's a natural, normal sure. place for it to go. So a, a consistent demonstration of I can be trusted with big things and small things, um, sometimes that practical exercise that they can do is to sit down, maybe with the help of the therapist, and talk about what are those small things that will help rebuild trust even just a little bit. Right? Even if it's just a half a percent, if that were done consistently every day, every week, you know, that would help. That would help begin to construct you know, this very subjective feeling of safety, uh, which is require, required for that trust. Right? We need to feel safe, that we can depend on our partner again. And it, it takes time for sure. So having that conversation, helping them begin to establish something new is key and Sometimes we talk about restoring something. I want to restore or rebuild our relationship. And I often tell couples, you know, what? like the analogy of a house, that house is burned down and the foundation maybe wasn't even in good shape to begin with. So let's just buy a new little lot, you know. Let's start from the ground up and and start because there's so many elements of that relationship that um, is going to bring those triggers and so let's start over you know we can bring in these strengths that you have we can bring in these good times you know we don't have to and we can't completely erase every experience good or bad but let's start over let's we're trying to figure out what will be so we really need to negotiate 
this temporary process of what is right now, what's happening right now, this day, this week, before we can start to move into this future, which, of course, the timing in that, uh, a lot of couples, a different process, different pace of, you know, aren't you over that by now? You know, the the betraying person might ask, like, it's been three months or it's been six months. And we're like, no, <laughs> that's a, you, you shattered my heart. So it's going to take some time. So it, it's helping couples align with each other's different processing speeds and seeing that, you know, it's going to take some time. But if we really at least have as much commitment as we are able to have in this moment, we can take a small step forward to try to work on this. Yeah, you, you exactly true. And, you know, it's hard for our couples to want to take small steps, but that really is the way that they can develop trust and they can take it slow enough so that they can trust their own intuition. So let me ask you, most partners, they are indignant that the sex addict did this to them and at the same time, they do that dance of being indignant and also going, wow, did I do something wrong? Was it my fault? Is there something that you believe you could help guide them towards when they're wondering, could I have done something that prevented this? To prevent the the behavior, the... Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, partners normally, think, they just, they kind of wonder, gosh, did I do something wrong? Okay, right. Yeah, I think that is a normal question for a lot of people right, to ask. Maybe if I were prettier, if I were meeting his his sexual needs in the frequency he wanted, right, if I just, if I just looked a little bit better, my body looked a little bit better, um, yeah, is it my fault? Am I not enough? Um, and of course, I'd say absolutely, you are enough, and absolutely, no, it was not your fault. Um, so, every couple, every person that enters into a relationship contributes, right? Either to the sense of connection, a sense of intimacy, or the sense of disconnection. We each play a part in that, right? So we can't be responsible, however, for another person's behavior. So, of course, we're going to think about that. Well. If I only did this, and we've seen that in the media, and people can, you know, have this what culture defines as a supermodel type wife, and still act out, right? Still betray, still want more, right? And that's just the um, the sex addiction in action. But um, it's so it's not. You can easily say, okay, it isn't me, right? And I am good enough. Um, so, but what I it's hard to do. But can I look at my part? and the breakdown of the connection, if there was one, right? If, if we started to drift apart, which I believe happens, you know, a couple gets married, I believe their sense of connection begins to drift immediately, right? And that's, I know I'm not getting awards for being the most encouraging premarital counselor when I say that, but I'll tell couples as soon as you say your vows, um, your default is to drift away unless you put some work into it. Right, unless you can examine your part in the breakdown of connection. So um, I think it's okay to ask a partner, is there anything, you know, even pre-discovery that you would say, 
how did I contribute to this disconnection? You know, if he was asking for, I wanted to just be with you more often, even non-sexually. You know, I appreciate this, I appreciate that. Maybe over years there was something. And maybe the way she raised her voice or her tone or, or something that just triggered his shame or his sense of inadequacy um, inside and outside the bedroom. So we have to examine that. I think it's fair to ask, is there anything I could have done to break down our sense of connection? Again, very different than is there anything I did to have him act out in this affair? That's completely 100% his choice, his behavior. Um, but when we look at the relationship, um, people have probably had a breakdown in their sense of connection with each other. And when a couple comes in to counseling, even an individual in recovery, we're putting everything on the table. You know, a therapist is asking and getting deep into their shame and to their feelings of rejection and abandonment. And we're, we're asking these people to bear everything. And it's an overwhelming and exhausting process. But when we cheer on these people, right, they're amazingly brave. And they're putting it out there, and they want help. And um, it's, it's difficult. But now we, we have everything out there. And sometimes we forget that. Like, okay, we're, we're here for helping you navigate and make sense of this betrayal and repair your relationship. But everything's out there. All these little things come to the surface and big things, like how you've been talking to each other. So communication, right? How you've, you've not spent time together like the other person wanted to. Um, you, you've been dishonest in other ways, right? And smaller lies. Um, we haven't really spent time together. We haven't worked on projects together. I, I'm looking at these, all the different ways to connect, and there's been a breakdown somewhere, right, in some of these things. Um, how have we discussed finances, parenting? Um, so there's been some kind of breakdown before this, most likely. And then now, again, everything's under examination. So it can be overwhelming. Oh, absolutely. And so clearly, you know, when you're dealing with an addict and a partner and the discovery has occurred and they say they want to feel better, uh, what I heard you saying is you got to look at, you know, where did the breakdown occur beforehand? Not that a partner is in any way responsible for the addict's behavior, but emotionally mature relationships know that, you know, there were some issues to begin with. And so you're saying take a look at that. And then I hear, what I hear you saying is, you also have to have a good sense of self so that you don't take on too much. Now, what are some of the exercises that you might give a couple who have been through sexual addiction and partner betrayal? So, again, I would have them work out things slowly or start start slowly. So it might be some communication exercises um, it might be if touch is off the table as well, um, they can still look at each other longer if they're really trying to rebuild, right? They can have a longer gaze. If they can hug, maybe they're hugging for you know, more than three seconds and they're, they're doing some things just to connect. So I might do that. I might ask uh, if they work out together, can they still do that some of the time? 
Um, I might have them focus on sharing with each other you know, compliments, just have an exercise of sharing, looking for a few things, maybe three things every day. What do you appreciate about your partner? And when we're looking for that, when we're noticing it, and we're being on purpose about that, and we share it, that can help be, rebuild that sense of connection, right? Because we hear from our partner, oh, he's thinking about me. He's noticing me. And, and maybe he's hearing from her, think, oh, okay, she doesn't completely hate me 100% of the time. She, she actually can find some positive things and compliment me. Um, but as best as they can, other things that they have done can they continue? So if you know, birthdays are going to come, holidays are going to come, um, there different events that they celebrate are going to come, um, how can they still engage in those, have some conversations about them, about expectations, and give each other permission? Like, you know, I don't feel like doing that. I, don't, I wouldn't feel comfortable going to Thanksgiving this year with your family. You know, if there's a recent discovery, I, I just can't. Um, I, I don't know if I can – hold it together, so to speak. I can't, I just don't want to be around it. And for the, the partner to respect that and give them that space. So with the holidays coming up um, to think about that, you know, can we have some conversations about expectations with who we're going to see? If people don't know, who do we tell? Who do we don't? Who do we not tell? Um, and how do we keep certain things private? So what do we tell? Um, and then focusing on the things that they can hang on to, that they know they can do well. And there might only be a few, but that might get them by while they're doing their therapeutic work, while some time is passing and trust is beginning to rebuild, those things might be able to help. So the recreation, doing things together, um, resting together is another one, um, having downtime, uh, but definitely sharing. That's a very meaningful activity, right? When we share with somebody, when we let them in, if we don't talk, people are just wondering, what are you thinking, right? Especially as we're trying to reestablish trust and build a new foundation, uh, we need to talk. And sometimes someone who's acted out or the addict is not used to that anyway, right? How do I become more emotionally vulnerable? And maybe it's just not my personality to, to talk a lot. So working on how do I share, take some small steps. I need to talk. We need to speak what's on our minds and, um, and share our victories. Sometimes we're focused on the struggle. So if we've had a victory and a partner wants to know, Hey, were you tempted today? or this week, and they have a, a scheduled, established check-in of what to share and when or how often, and that can be helpful. Like once a week, somebody might want that, and yeah, I was tempted, but here's what I did, right? I called my sponsor. I went to a group. I started reading my book again. Um, I, I, I did things um, to demonstrate that I care about you, and I know I need help. So the, those kinds of interactions can have so much value. In the meantime, as trust is starting to be formed again, uh, we need to communicate. Oh, 100%. I'm so glad you said that because 
It really is true, and communication can be really difficult if there's a lot of shame and guilt in in the way. So now I'm going to ask you, um, as an addict, what do you think is the number one risk that an addict takes to promote intimacy? The number one risk the mm-hmm. vulnerability or the yeah i think yeah. the emotional sharing right we again have everything out on the table you know everything's bare if we're working that process if we're in therapy especially if we're in couples therapy and our therapist is bringing that out to that place um we need safety so i i would say before we could take any risks, before we can really make ourselves vulnerable, which I believe is the pathway to intimacy, we need safety. So if the addict is going to take a risk, and sometimes you might think, well, you know, I'm the one that's hurt here. You're the bad guy. I'm not going to be nice to you. And that's often a question. Do I have to be nice to him? I mean, he just betrayed me. Um, but so it's hard to see that that is another human there still it's it's someone that needs that safety that need in safety another word i use for that is approachability so if i take a risk and i share you know, i i feel shame I, I i think that would be one of the biggest risks right is the is to say i feel shame and to let you into that place and to allow you to see me when i feel shame you know, I don't uh-huh. put my hand over my face. I don't walk out of the room. I'm sitting there in that very vulnerable spot, either at home or in a therapist's office, but that is extremely risky. If we haven't done that before, if, and many of us haven't, you know, if we brought to this place, we really need our partner to be safe. And sometimes that safe response is just listening, looking at me intently, letting me know you're here with me, you hear me, you're not judging me, you're accepting what I'm saying right now. And, yeah, you might not have to say anything. It's just your presence. So you mentioned Sue Johnson. Yeah, that in the emotionally focused therapy work that we do, when the time is right and we can bring people to that deeper, more vulnerable place, and we can hold them there in the office, right? We can create that intervention, allow them, guide them to go deeper, and really, when the time is right, um, prepare that partner to respond right, in a safe way. Because if that, if the addict or anybody takes a risk to share on a deeper level, right, the most vulnerable in shame or feeling that rejection or abandonment or inadequacy, and our partner responds negatively or sometimes worse, doesn't even respond at all, uh, that tells us instantly this is not safe. It's our brain instantly telling us don't do that again. Right? It's like touching the hot stove. We learn immediately don't go there. Right? It's not safe. So it, it could be later. We can still do some work to try to get someone there again, but um, I would say that's the biggest risk. And then for the person hearing that, receiving that deeper level of communication, vulnerability, uh, to hold that, I could call it walking on, someone's walking on sacred soil. Right, they're walking well, into you know, that space. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I know 
in working with, for instance, I just had a man and a woman today, and he um, he has groomed many a woman. He has exploited many a woman. He's had sex with many a woman, both in his neighborhood, in their family, in his job. And so she has said, I don't ever want you to touch another woman again. So fast forward, and this woman falls off of her chair, and he goes to grab her. You know, he picks her up, not picks her up, but gives her a hand up and just basically helps her up and then goes on his way. Well, that totally triggered the partner because Mm. they had this sacred contract that he would not ever touch Mm. another woman. Now, somebody from the outside would look at the partner and go, my gosh, is she nuts? He was just helping somebody up that fell down. And then somebody who understands how important a sacred contract is, they would say, you know what, somebody else could have helped her up. He promised her, and he needed to hold true to his word. In this kind of a situation, it really requires that the couple talk about what happened and renegotiate what's going on. You know, I understand where a partner would be totally triggered. And at the same time, I also understand where he did the knee-jerk reaction of helping somebody. This is a couple that needs to develop more trust. There's just no doubt about it. This is, a, this is an example of where the trust has not been developed to the point where he can do the right thing, the nice thing, if it violates the contract. Wouldn't you agree? Right. I think if there is a sense of safety, and if she feels secure, over a period of time, and, and like you said, it's fast forward. I don't know how long, but um, that that still applies. It's still a sensitive area um, that is going to get her attention, right? If they had an agreement, verbal or written, you will not do this. This will completely overwhelm me because of all the things that you've done. This has to be off the table, this touch with females there's no way and I, I I was just thinking the same thing the knee-jerk reaction I think we might do that we might just try to help someone um, and but I think the attitude behind that is what would help with that repair and again then and, and that emotionally focused therapy we call it an attachment injury so there's an injury there that's getting triggered um, rather a wound in this case um, that is getting triggered and we need to go back to that and you're right someone else from the outside looking in could take both sides and have a pretty good argument but um, what what all what matters in that is what she's feeling what she's needing and does he see that does he understand the depth of the pain and the seriousness of that need and it could be something that he repairs by his his attitude his willingness to see her pain, to say, I get it. You know, I, I, it was an instant reaction. I'm so sorry. I know I violated our agreement. I know this really triggered some pain in you and probably set us back and set me back in my trust level with you, but I get it. It makes sense that 
it's a black and white thing and and I touched her and and that was not right so I think his his attitude his approach to to attempt to repair this means everything it still could take some time but I think that will really help if he were to really try to understand the depth of her pain and how that event and that I like isolated you event said that. Mm-hmm. because what you're talking mm-hmm. about is as ridiculous as it may seem to him he has empathy for her. He has empathy for the past indiscretions, and he has empathy for the fact that he didn't follow the contract because of the knee-jerk reaction. And empathy is so important in developing intimacy and building that trust. So now let me ask you, as we begin to end for tonight, and you're talking to the addicts and the partners out there that want to rebuild their relationship, Obviously, it's important for them to to honor each other. What advice would you give most of all? For them to attune to each other's mm-hmm. needs, and they're, they're probably in a different place in their process, right, in their healing process, and to attune to what that other person is experiencing. So, Definitely being aware of and open to the express expression of emotions and uh-huh. inviting that deeper dialogue, sharing that on a deeper level, um, that communication and sharing and being able to have some sense of stability would be another. So, what, again, what areas do we connect and how do we establish a sense of closeness and feel that throughout the day? And like any other couple on the planet, when we start to lose our sense of disconnection, how do we pay attention to it sooner and get back to it and talk about it? I'm starting to see that we're slipping off track. Oh, it seemed like um, you, you seem a little upset. Um, to be real careful in how we say that, right? we don't want to assume someone's mad, but like you seem like something's off or you seem hurt or something going on, and to have that caring curiosity for the other person. We're looking at them with compassion and concern, and it communicates so much. It's that empathy. It's I see you, I, I hear, I hear you, I, I feel for you, and and I care. All that says that I'm here with you, and in the end, that's really what matters, right? It's you can depend on me to be here for you, and to be a safe person. And and that will get us by, I believe. Um, there's a lot of work, a lot of discussion that has to happen at home and in a therapist's office. But I believe if we seek that sense of safety to be a safe person, an approachable person, and to even ask for it for a partner. Like, I, I'm going to share something really deep here. Can you can you be gentle with me? This is hard for me to share. And And really begin to develop a deeper level of communication. Um, ongoing, right? It's just a regular thing where it's daily or weekly, but there we're going there, right? We're going a little bit deeper and we're seeing each other, seeing each other's hearts and each other's pain and, and, and what we're trying to recover from and also just in daily life, right? If someone's struggling with work or parenting mm-hmm. or any other area, there's just that, like you're saying, the empathy, it's so huge. It's, I call that, I call validation the bridge, Right when two people oh, absolutely. are and, and disconnected. I've got to tell yeah. my listening audience, 
I am talking to Alex Villa, who wrote 40 Forms of Intimacy in Integrating Connection into Your Couple's Relationship. And, and that's actually couple relationship, right? Yes. And they can go yes. to www.40formsofintimacy.com or they can go to www.alexavillacounseling, and that's A-V-I-L-A, counseling.com, or last but not least, www.relationshipinstitute.org to find out more about you, to find out more about this incredible book, and find out about the services that you offer through the Relationship Institute of the Rockies. Correct? Yes, thank you, Carol. Oh, absolutely. And you are working on your CSAT, and everybody on my show knows that that is obviously a certified sexual addiction therapist, and you really do have a special affinity for partners. I can hear it in what you're doing. So I appreciate Mm -hmm. the fact that you're 100% in it for the coupleship, and that's what intimacy is all about. It's developing that ability to connect, to be authentic, to trust, and and to work towards openness and honesty. So, Alex, keep me posted on anything you do because we're always wanting more information on attachment and intimacy. And I so thank you for your um, contribution. Sure. I, I sure will stay in contact. And thank you so much for having me on. And um, I appreciate that. We will stay uh, connected. All right, and so literally they can go to any of these websites if they want to talk to you further, correct? Yes. And they can get your book on Amazon. Yes, it's on Amazon and um, it's on Kindle as well, so Kindle and paperback. And it's, yeah, just full of ideas, practical insights, and every chapter at the end has connection points, several practical things that couples can do. Um, based on that chapter, that form of intimacy. So there are a lot of exercises, a lot of things that can give hope and, and practical help. Well, I promise you there will be listeners tonight that will order that book. And again, it is called 40 Forms of Intimacy, Integrating Daily Connection into Your Couple Relationship by Alex A. Avila. So thank you so much, and we will stay in touch. Thank you, Carol. You have a great night. You too. All, All right. right so, again, this is a man who knows what it takes to build that relationship and trust. And, you know, what I know to be true about your life is that sex addiction has fractured your relationship, and you're looking for ways to pull it back together and make the decision on if you can maintain or sustain this relationship. And if you're both willing to work, I guarantee you, you can. So, as I say at the end of every, every show, there will only be one of you at all times. I fearlessly want you to be yourself. That is truly authentic and genuine. And um, I just appreciate you listening to me and working with me and and finding out more about the kinds of things you're going to need to do to build your own sense of self and to build, if you're in a relationship, the coupleship. 
You're listening to Sex Help with Carol the Coach, and we will catch you again next week. And I want you to have a great week. Till we meet again next Monday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Talk to you soon.